Are you ready for operational excellence? Welcome to the Visual Workplace, Work That Makes Sense, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace. You can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. Hello. And welcome. Welcome to Visual Workplace Radio. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth. I'm your host on this, our weekly radio show about letting the workplace speak. And you know, I think you do know, in each of our shows, we explore, we describe, celebrate the principles and practices, concepts and tools, methods and strategies, the people and the results of implementing the visual workplace, the technologies of the visual workplace and we learn and reflect upon how they help us let the workplace speak. We get marvelous and dramatic outcomes, informational transparency, an informational pull system because we have embedded the language of visuality in the form of visual devices and visual mini systems into the living landscape of work. And that landscape gives us back at our pull the operational detail we need to perform excellent work high-quality work, on-time delivery, productivity that meets the numbers. And we get the tremendous boon of cultural alignment also as a result, a spirited and engaged workforce on all levels of the enterprise, not just value-add associates and operators, but everyone, you too, you too, yes, everyone, learns to speak the language of visuality, learns to be a visual thinker. So welcome. Welcome, and before we begin the content of of the show, please visit our website, visualworkplace.com, for free articles, for these podcasts, which you can download directly off of our site, for my books, and for the products and services we deliver on site as we help companies convert to a workplace that speaks. And if you want more information, if you want to arrange for me or one of our certified affiliates to work with you at your company, please email us at radio at visualworkplace.com. We are happy to help. Welcome. So we are going to continue with our rollout of what it takes to create a visual conversion starting with operators. We call that doorway one, we also call that work that makes sense. And right now we are looking at a toolbox that will create a kind of infrastructure, and I'll say more about that in a moment, infrastructure that will hold the creativity and the rollout of the methodology that we call the visual workplace. So we're going to continue sharing the content of the conversion methodology known as work that makes sense. What distinguishes work that makes sense against the other methodologies of the visual workplace is that this is specifically for operators. This is how to get your operators engaged in dramatic improvements of their own KPIs and also of the cosmetic, aesthetic, and functional transformation of their own work areas. This is, as many of you know if you've been following this show, my solution, (laughs) my resolution my response to the many decades of failure that I myself encountered when I attempted to implement um, 
Japanese-based 5S. As you heard in one of my recent shows, 5S was created as, was built, was constructed as a compliance mechanism. That is why it has an audit attached to it. And it was not by design to be a developmental mechanism, either to develop or go further with the 5Ss than simply hitting the marks for compliance, nor using 5S to help people develop, develop in their thinking, in the use of the gifts of the mind, really thinking and devising and scientifically investigating. There's no mechanism in 5S. But I went along the path of finding that mechanism and several very important other ones when, because of the failures that I encountered. I felt that there needed to be some way to bring operators invo- involved, to involve them directly in the betterment of, of the workplace itself and its performance and their own performance. And so I made modifications through many years of implementations, lots and lots of successes, but these successes were won through a series of, I guess you could call them uh, failures or opportunities, and out of that emerged the work that makes sense methodology, which is, in my book, the most robust and finest way to bring operators into uh, the continuous improvement framework. As you've already heard, this is this methodology is literally owned by the operator. We teach them and then they use the methodology and roll out, not just for three months or five months or a year, but for second year and a third year and a fourth year. They keep exploring the world of information deficits as uh, reflected in the motion moving without working that they themselves engage in in first of very gross levels and then finer and finer levels of microscopic motion, bringing us really ultimately to the attribute level and to um, the highest form of visuality, the embedded solution we called pokey oak. So where we're at in the methodology is discussing the implementation toolbox from the point of view of the operator. What are the tools that the operators use to support the methodology These are mostly physical tools, uh, things like the laminated map, which we're going to touch on today, the hit list, supplies, but they're also kind of um, constructs like the blitz, the vision place. Last week, we talked about the vision place, one of the five tools in the operator's implementation toolbox. It is a tool, the vision place, if you remember, to help us stay inspired, to give us a location that is already visually functional, that usually exists to begin with outside the plant, outside the factory, outside the company, a place that we can go to to inform ourselves, how does how does the visual workplace function? What is it really like? What is it like to be there as an operator, an employee, and what is it like to be there as a customer? So we go to the library, we go to the post office, we go to McDonald's, we go to Home Depot, Depot, which is pretty darn good. We go to Disneyland, 
and we see visuality function and function in a in such a on such a high level that it really does inspire us. So that vision place is a touchstone for getting us started and getting us reminded, keeping us in contact with what we want as a destination for our own work area. Today what I want to talk about is I will talk about the second tool, which is the laminated map. It's a tool to help us stay focused. But I want to do it a little bit in reverse. The laminated map really began as a tool, and I'll explain it in quite a bit of detail, for managers. And then it has a subset for operators. And Because the laminated map for operators is a subset of a larger use of the tool, I've decided to start you with the kind of management level tool. And then when I thought about doing that in preparation for the show, I said, you know what I should do? I should just bring in the whole so-called leadership centerfold, the improvement infrastructure that uh, management needs to put into place in order to support a visual conversion or really any improvement conversion. There needs to be a certain structure in place. It is behind the scenes. So I want to go through that now. And I think we'll have time to back end uh, towards the close of the show into what the laminated map is like for operators. And I have been using these, uh, these tools, this set of tools for senior managers uh, for 25 years. I know them very well, and I can tell you that they work really, really well. I'm in what's called the centerfold of Chapter 3. In case you're following along in the book, you can get uh, Work That Makes Sense from our website. You can get it on Amazon. Amazon has this incredible deal on it uh, now. I won't tell you what the great deal is, uh, but uh, you, it's pretty much two for the price of one. And uh, Amazon is the boss, so... You get to benefit. You can get to that price directly through our website. Don't worry. We don't We do not do anything that Amazon hasn't already blessed and put into place. They're the big foot. <laughs> so let me talk about now I'm talking to managers, and I know that you want to support operators and you want them to be successful. I'm going to describe these tools now from your point of view, your toolbox. Your improvement infrastructure. In our hope, sometimes, for a quick and easy solution to all workplace challenges, we, meaning you, sometimes mistakenly think that improvement success is simply the result of good ideas carefully implemented. But just as buildings require an infrastructure to function safely and well, so does your visual conversion. It requires an internal structure. Management needs to put this into place behind the scenes, a a behind the scenes framework. Put that in place before the first associate is trained or the first brilliant visual solution is discussed. I call it the company's improvement infrastructure. It is the organization's insurance that steady progress will continue to be made, that learning will be applied, and that hard-won gains will be sustained. So we do this from the beginning. 
Just like buildings, the absence of a strong internal framework may go unnoticed until the building, or in this case your visual implementation, begins to fail. And by then, there is little we can do to save the situation. So we usually just shake our our heads and, and wonder why more strength and reliability were not designed into the structure at the outset. There are six elements in the improvement structure that I prescribe that I use to help my own clients make a successful journey to the visual workplace. And when effectively implemented, these elements can enable an organization to reach the ultimate destination of fully functioning visual enterprise that is also sustainable. So sustainable, uh, and let me comment, sustainability can never be engendered, generated by an audit. An audit is a compliance tool. It is not a diagnostic tool. It only gives you feedback on what you know, what you expect, what you think is useful. It does not point the way to the next step, the next uh, expansion of your thinking. Okay? This is not audit-driven. When we get to it, which will be later on, not today, but another day, when we get to it, I will take pains to make the differentiation that I found useful behind uh, between an audit and a operator-owned hit list. Okay? So here are the six elements. Vision place, yes, that's exactly what we talked about last week for the operator and what I began our introduction today with. Vision place is number one. Number two is systematic methodology. Number three is excellent transfer. Those are That's another word for training materials. Number four is on-site leadership. Number five is the laminated map. And number six is improvement on policy. So two of these, vision place and laminated map, as I said, are included in the implementation toolbox for associates. Okay. As managers, you use those same two, but as you'll find out in a moment, with a strong leadership emphasis. The other four are exclusively your responsibility. The selection of a systematic methodology, training materials, on-site leadership, and your company's improvement time policy. So I want to say just a couple of words about infrastructure before we move on too far. I want you to think about an infrastructure the way you would an infrastructure for a building. And that is, it's a framework or a set of interconnected elements that enable or support a larger structure. For example, uh, a framework of internal systems that support a town or a city. In a moment, we'll talk about a building. Roads, part of the infrastructure. Water supply, part of the infrastructure. Sewers, the electrical grid, phone, internet, and cable connections. These are all part of a community's infrastructure. It is not noticed by us because we use them so seamlessly that they are considered to be pretty much a right and not a privilege. We are expecting that to be in place, and if they're not in place, any one of them, 
there is a lot of noise. In a building, we're talking about the electrical system, but we're also talking about the I-beams and the plumbing system, okay? We're talking about the stairway that take people to their destination, the elevator, all part of the infrastructure so that people can enter that building and use the services and the geography that it represents without thinking about whether the building is going to hold up or fall down or how do we get to the third floor. Okay, so that, that is simply, those are simply the infrastructure, simply the requirements of using the building, the requirements of living in and prospering in the community. It's the same way with your company. This is a very intentional framework, and if you really try to proceed without it, you will fail and you will barely be able to know why because the failure will be on a hidden or behind-the-scenes level. One of the strengths of the Japanese approach way, way back when was the strength of their infrastructure, the hive-like quality to the way the elements fit together and worked. This was a, a great awareness on the part of the of the Japanese. You can think of infrastructure as the logistics or the movement of material during the war, during a war, any kind of a war. If the supply lines are not in place, the war can't be fought and you are defeated in a, in a very colossal way before you've begun. There's lots and lots of evidence of this during World War II. The German, the German logistical support failed tremendously. I'm thinking most vividly of the, the Battle of the Bulge, which at the beginning the Germans were winning and then their supply lines failed and it turned into one of, the, it turned into really the turning point. There were several of them, but the turning point of World War II. I think it was one of the reasons why Eisenhower was uh, nominated as the, um, the chief, the commander-in-chief uh, during World War II is because he was so brilliant logistically and uh, that's where the war can, that's where the war is lost if it is not in place. You need other factors to win, but you will surely fail without the logistical support. And that's what we're talking about with the infrastructure. So let's talk about these six elements. I've just been watching, uh, <laughs> it seems a little obscene to say it out loud, but World War II in color. <laughs> it's all of those black and white movies that uh, were shown, uh, that were captured during the war, and now they've tinted them so that they become even more horrific. Um, but it's still a commendable job. And I'll tell you, I think this is on Netflix. It might be on Amazon, but I think it's on Netflix. The commentary is just exquisite. Uh, I really... Uh, I really understood so much more than I I hadn't realized how much I didn't know about World War II until I started watching this show. I have one more episode. It's very, very good. I was brought up on Victory at Sea, if some of you remember it. Oh, my God, what a sweeping saga that was. I hear the music now. Oh, just breathtaking, really. Okay, let us move on. Your vision place. So vision comes first, then transformation. Even though you may have never experienced a comprehensive visual enterprise firsthand, you have visited places 
where what was supposed to happen did happen because of visual devices. And from what you saw, it happened remarkably well. So before you begin the visual journey for your company, you have to choose a location that can serve as your vision place, your touchstone for inspiration until one exists within your own company. This is exactly what we said to the operators last week. It's the same. You must have that living inside of your mind, your memory, your imagination, and your experience so that you know not only what you're after, but why you're after it. Okay, this gives you the understanding of why it's worth it and why it's important. And as a leader, as you know, leaders must know the destination. And if you don't have the destination yet in your company, you better memorize what it looks like in either the community places and do a diagnostic of those about what is it that is so compelling about, for example, McDonald's or Home Depot or Lowell's. Or what is so compelling about a nearby factory that hums because of its visuality. So your vision plays is an absolute requirement. The second one is a systematic methodology. Vision without an implementation roadmap is only a hope. I'm going to say that again. Vision without an implementation roadmap is only a hope. So you select an improvement method with a proven track record for bottom line results, in this case related to workplace visuality, and then you follow it carefully. And what I mean by that is you follow it, we say, in my company, when we work with your company, we say follow it through at least three cycles as it is written. Follow the methodology as it is given to you for three cycles. In that way, you will get to know it well before you change anything, before you remove anything. In that way, you learn to understand and value the method as given, and you adapt it knowingly only after you have clarified your local needs. Commentary on that. Far too often, our limitations become the limitation of the methodology that we're learning. Whatever our experience is, whatever it is, we sometimes think that we know better right off the bat, better than the people who created the methodology, what parts of it are valuable. We do something that you and I call cherry picking. We take what we think is juicy and beautiful, and we leave the rest. Well, I say to you, whatever methodology you're using, you don't know enough yet to do that, knowingly or successfully. So use the methodology, commit to three cycles, and after that then say, I think I'm going to withdraw this element or factor. And then, even then, stay humble, stay modest, and say, let me see what happens. But don't cherry pick. You know, when we teach trainers, when we train trainers to train the methodology in lieu of us, we designate the first cycle of their training, whoever it is, the first cycle for a trainer is called the A cycle. And the A cycle is there purely for the trainer to learn and to make mistakes to learn how to deliver the content, to learn what the content is, 
to learn how to facilitate interaction, to learn how to coach, to learn what the methodology looks like on its feet, on your feet, through your mouth, through your facilitation, through your teaching. We take the pressure off. We say, make your mistakes. Do the best job you can. But understand that this first cycle is a cycle of learning for you. And if you remember the three outcomes we talked about also last episode, so we talked about talking to the operators, talking to your value-add associates about that one of the three main outcomes of this conversion is to adopt, to learn how to learn, to adopt an attitude of learning, to learn how to see, to learn how to tolerate, to learn how to think and to implement and how to do iterations how to develop a visual device and see that it isn't strong enough and do it again. So this outcome that we call learning is also a part of learning the overall methodology in your company with you as the manager who perhaps selected the methodology, you as the corporate boss, the corporate VP of improvement who said, who says, we're going to do work that makes sense. Yeah, do it three cycles and then make some adjustments. There are many protocols, many protocols, but for the journey to a visual workplace, our method of choice is (laughs) the work that makes sense process. It is structured, principle-driven, systematic, and it creates sustainable results. And it has hundreds upon hundreds of outstanding visual solutions to learn from and a crisp and robust set of steps to follow. So it is systematic. But from the point of view of the leadership infrastructure, I'm also saying that the selection of the methodology is a leadership decision. It isn't one that is delegated to, for example, a a supervisor who you want to have a, a leader training. It is a careful decision, and its success is um, a reflection of management's acuity and management's research and careful decision-making in support of company outcomes. So, you know, pretty much you're, you're on the line <laughs> if you're a manager. You selected the methodology, make it go. Another aspect of the methodology, and it's the third uh, element in the infrastructure, is to make sure that the transfer, the training materials are in very good shape. Answer the question, how will you transfer the knowledge and know-how and excitement to others, others that you want to commit to and engage in the methodology that you've selected? How will you inform and inspire others? You need robust materials, a robust training package to do so. For visuality, the package needs to include proven content that teaches a systematic method, what we just were discussing, that includes concepts and principles, models and frameworks, tools and practices. Okay? And certainly for visuality, you need scores, if not hundreds, of color photographs of splendid visual solutions well explained, not just from your industry, but from many industries. Outstanding instructional materials are indispensable to learning and implementing visuality 
and producing sustainable and inventive visual transformations. So that's a requirement, and that is leadership decision as well. So you've got a great methodology. Let's see if the materials support what that methodology is supposed to do. So we're making a separation there. The the fourth element in your improvement infrastructure is what I called on-site leadership. You know that company conversions, enterprise conversions, don't happen overnight and they don't happen by accident. Not if the gains are to be sustainable. Your company will need a team of high-functioning, emotionally sturdy individuals to lead, to coach, to support your visual transformation. These individuals mostly work behind the scenes to plan, support, assess, and troubleshoot the rollout before and during the conversion itself. They are responsible for the progress of the rollout, the conversion, in terms of the bottom line, but also in terms of the transformation of the work culture. The mechanism or construct that I use to describe that is called the three-legged stool. So you look at the seat of the stool and the three legs, and each leg represents a different person or group that is willing and qualified to be held accountable for some aspect of the visual conversion and its success. The three legs work together, just as they do on a stool itself, to support the seat of the stool. And the seat of the stool is your targeted areas. The cells or departments that you have chosen sequentially to go through a visual conversion. So the seat of the stool is really the purpose of the stool, your targeted areas and their success, and the legs are there to support that. The three legs I name are the visual workplace champion, I'll describe both, the visual workplace coordinator, and the steering team. And you can just change these names to anything that suits your company, but they are Listen to the roles. The roles are mission critical. So leg number one, the visual workplace management champion. This is the person who sponsors the initiative, the person who authorized it and signed off on the resources. Resources meaning dollars, time, and people. These resources are needed for the change. In a union shop, the champion often works hand-in-hand with union leadership In addition to resourcing the visual conversion, the visual workplace management champion visibly supports the process and provides it with regular top management feedback. We have a particular mechanism for that. It's rather narrowly um, defined, but it is enough to give the champion visibility and line of sight, but it is not overly uh, um, loaded with activity or tasks. What we want is the champion to go to bat for the implementation if the need arises. And once the process gets launched, launched, the champion, that role is largely behind the scenes. But we want that champion to protect and advocate for the change that visuality represents. He's 
she's the cheerleader, the resource person, the person with the wallet, and also the person who visibly congratulates and visibly uh, leads, talks about the importance, becomes the spokesperson for. This is a designated role, and I prefer it not to be delegated to someone who reports to the ranking side executive. Instead, I want it to be the ranking side executive. The second leg of the stool is the visual workplace coordinator. And that person is responsible for, well, for everything. The logistical and administrative details that support the implementation, that's A. B, coordinating activities between departments, acting as a bridge, bringing on board, for example, maintenance and technical support, engineering support, as operators invent uh, invent new devices that they need a drawing for, they need specs for, they need someone to talk to about. The uh, operators will have completely brilliant ideas about improving the process of work, improving safety, improving the implements of work. And you want to have the bridge built already for departments that can help out. Third, for collecting and graphing improvement time usage, and I'll talk about that because it is its own element, and also as serving as an internal coach to the overall process. Basically, what we say is that the coordinator (laughs) goes like this in relationship to the champion, and there's a a lateral uh, reporting line there. They really support each other. The coordinator does really all the work. If the implementation succeeds, the champion gets all the credit. If the implementation fails, the coordinator gets all the blame. (laughs) It's not fair. I know it's not fair. It's a big job. It's a big job. And the coordinator nomenclature is really not quite uh, strong enough to talk about the heft of this role. This person is a project a project leader, a project manager of the first order. This person is already somebody who has been successful in the company, who has the political network and the political savvy to deal with the company as it is and get things done. When we ask the champion to designate this person, because it is pretty much an appointed position, we say to the champion, you're going to have to give up some valuable member of your of your closest team. You're going to have to give up one of the people that I just met in the boardroom with you. It's that important, and we need that level of skill. This isn't a job to learn how to manage on. You bring strong management and leadership skills, and then you do the do. You do the the tasks of visual workplace coordinating. Because it is such a big job, we put a little support on that leg, we put a little brace on it, and it's called a lead team. The coordinator, we say, designate a group of two to four people to lend you a hand, to lend you a hand, to help you do the tasks, to help you see, to help you succeed to give tasks to when you're overloaded, to use as a sounding board. You keep the leadership position. 
you are in charge of the implementation as visual workplace coordinator, and the lead team is there to assist you. And there's many ways that this lead team um, has developed depending on the company. For example, I remember at, um, at Hitchcock Industries, which was an aluminum casting company, highly proprietary product in um, Minneapolis, and the lead team there was, the, the coordinator was Mike Suki, and he was in charge of all of engineering. And he gathered together, we, the first cycle of the rollout was with seven departments. I happened to have led that, that training. It was a very large group. It was close to 50 people. Wonderful, wonderful, <laughs> rambunctious group of um, Minnesotians. And uh, Mike was the coordinator, and he asked for seven people to uh, populate his lead team, which is larger than anything that I would have recommended. But his idea was that he would assign one person to each area, and the lead team would um, be his line of sight. And they met once a week, and every day part of the assignment for the lead team was to put on, they had a little vest that on the back said, how may I help you? They'd put on their yellow vest and uh, walk through each person to their area, walk through in the morning, and walk through in the afternoon, and just go through and say what it said on the back of the vest, how may I help you? Anything you need? How's it going? What's going on? Can I get you something? Did you get that uh, appointment with the engineer that I set up for you the other day? So it was an extension, pretty much like, um, kind of like an octopus where Mike could reach out into those areas and have a very reliable process for staying in touch with what the operators need needed. I was training. He was the coordinator, and they were keeping, these seven lead team members were keeping the process connected for him. And it worked out very, very well, very well. And um, Mike gave up about 8 to 10% of his time in that new job. And no, he wasn't forgiven any other task. I always, I always think that's a little bit unfair because it's such a big job. But he, did, he figured out how to be effective through this very large and capable lead team who were supervisors. Uh, there were two engineers and then uh, two engineers, four supervisors, and then the, the trainer who was in training, Melanie. And they were, the areas that they visited were not their own areas so that they didn't have the double role of being a supervisor and being a member of the lead team, which is confusing for everyone. Okay? So that's the second leg of the stool, the visual workplace coordinator designated by the champion, responsible for everything, really responsible for the success, responsible for bringing problems to the management champion, for really watching and seeing and looking for the drops and looking for the political entanglements and, and smoothing out the entire process and helped by the lead team. The third leg of the stool, which I call the visual workplace steering team rather grandly, is formed about two to three months after the initial launch and is made up of hourly employees who volunteer from each area participating in that cycle. You change the name 
of steering team to whatever you like. But the members of the steering team are volunteers, and this is very, very clearly set forth. No one is going to encourage you or recruit you or lean on you to join the team. You volunteer and you want to be part of the team, which I'll describe its mandate in a moment, because you care about visuality and you want to be part of supporting it and protecting it. So the mandate of this team, which is made up of volunteer operators, Volunteer value-add associates is to stay in touch with how the implementation is unfolding within each area and across the areas and to look for ways to strengthen that, but also to look for what may be weak or failing, to look for areas where management may be, you know, getting itself in trouble or repeating some of the, um, some of the mistakes It has made in the past. And then the steering team goes to the management champion or goes to the coordinator. There's open doors on both levels and says, hey, boss, uh, we are worried about thus and so. The steering team, and we can do a whole show on the steering team. Maybe we'll take a break sometime in, in, in the in the rollout of WTMS. And I'll give you some more of the flavor of this wonderful team. But the, uh, I remember the first group that became the steering team, this was 1992, and it was at United Electric Controls, and we asked them, would you put together your mandate or your purpose, and they said something that has served all steering teams since. They said, we are the eyes and the ears of the shop floor. We are not the police. We are the eyes and the ears of the shop floor. We are not the police. Their job was to listen to the word on the street, to listen to what was successful and what was heading for a cliff, and to to come up with recommendations if they wanted something changed. That, that's the kind of only requirement that I've ever said to a steering team is you can go to the management champion directly. He knows, she knows that you'll, you'll make an appointment and you'll go, two or three of you or everyone will go, but you need to go with a recommendation if something's wrong. You need to come up with at least two ways of addressing it, two good ways to address it if you can, three, so that you're not just dumping on the champion you're actually helping the champion to sort through, and the coordinator, to sort through what the alternatives are. It's really very, very beautiful. And the steering team becomes a tremendous developmental opportunity for operators who do volunteer. We have a check sheet that they go through where they self-train using this check sheet. They meet by themselves. No one else is in the room unless they're invited. No one except steering team members who are associates. So that is the third leg of the stool. There is a fourth leg. If your company has its own in-house trainers, the way Hitchcock Industries did, Melanie, um, then the training function becomes the fourth leg of the stool. And that strengthens and begins to fold in more resources into the infrastructure of the company. So that's the uh, on-site leadership 
the fourth element of your improvement infrastructure, the behind-the-scenes management uh, framework. Let's move on to the fifth element, which brings us to, mm, I wonder, yeah, I'll do it now, the laminated map. So a conversion can stumble into serious early problems if a decision is made to implement too fast and too wide. No organization knows how to handle or absorb unlimited change right out of the starting gate. The company has to learn what to change as well as how to change as well as how fast. The idea... The idea of pace is one of the most important uh, components of your success. And what we use for that is a tool, the tool called the laminated map, and it begins on a strategic or enterprise level. It can be a tremendous help in focusing resources and pacing the rate of change. So when you create a laminated map, you're going to be following the pretty much the same steps as I will describe in a moment for associates, but you're doing it for the entire facility. The process is this. You border off all the departments on a map of the facility, and the map is laminated so you can write on it and erase it easily. You put a border around the whole facility And usually you bring together your supervisors to do this. They work on a map, and that map can be four foot by five feet. It can be two feet by three feet, but it's big. It really takes up the table, and it gives you a good sight line on the entire company. You map out a boundary going all around the entire facility, and then you break it into its natural work areas or departments. You bound it. When you bound it, when you have all of your areas, and you'll have 16 or 20 or 70, working with a company now that has 70 cells, oh my God, and then there's the offices and the stores area and the inventory and tool shop and all that. So there's a lot, a lot of small, discrete areas. After you bound it, you put into each area a blue dot. So there's going to be a color dot system that is associated with reading the map and getting the map ready to be useful to you. And the blue dot simply means not yet. We're not going to implement here yet. In the second step, you then decide where you are going to implement And usually, the ranking side executive, your management champion, controls the faucet of how much implementation. There's a discussion about where to implement. There's a discussion of development of success factors. What does it mean to, how do we make the decision about where to implement during this first cycle? What are the success factors? Do we want high visibility or do we want it hidden away? Do we want people to uh, have a, um, to be an, a high demand area so that we can show kind of breakthrough success or do we want it low demand so we can be easy about making mistakes? What's the criteria? The one criteria that we suggest, that I suggest is very important that you can't really do without is that you need to have an optimistic, positive, forward-moving supervisor. 
And if you've got three shifts, then across all three shifts. And you go through that. It can take a couple of hours to develop that criteria and then to have the discussion about where to begin. And there's this one other caveat, which is the supervisor of that area gets to say no. Without explanation, if that supervisor, and there could be three of them because you could have three shifts or four shifts, if one of the supervisors says, no, not in my area, then it has to be no. Don't bother to engage in that fight. It's not worth it. It'll be too hard. And you want to respect their decision, their point of view, and their um, contraction. They may be under pressure because some new machines are coming in. They may have demands because of changes in personnel or changes in uh, workflow. No is no. You go through that, and when you decide, then the area gets a red dot. You go from blue to red. And red simply means let's get started. We have a long way to go. In the process of selecting areas, the management champion gets to say enough. So one of the things that you do on a small post-it is you name the number of employees that are going to be involved in that, and you try to keep your training classroom sessions down to about 20 people for the first cycle, for cycle A, 30 people or 35 people, if you've got some very strong trainers, is about the maximum. And so you have to balance that as well. And then the conversion begins. Teaching the methodology, training the content, applying the content, and moving through the steps of getting visual. As the area moves through those steps, they will move from red to yellow. And yellow means, for this methodology, yellow means the visual wear is in place. There's a border, an address, and if possible, an ID label for everything that casts a shadow. It's a very high level of functionality when you go to yellow. It takes a while. And when yellow is achieved, the next step is to go to green, which means that visuality is sustainable. There are certain mechanisms in place that are put into place for that sustainability. And that is also a kind of checklist as well. So the sight line on a laminated map will tell you at a glance which areas are currently under conversion, which ones are waiting, which ones have progressed to the level of yellow, and which ones have achieved the final uh, strength of green. There's more that happens after green. There's kind of green plus and green plus plus. But for the basis of our discussion here, that is the way the laminated map is used. And it's a very important tool because it gives management a, a line of sight, but also a sense of control. That pace needs to follow the pace of absorption that is possible for that plant. And there can be pauses, and those pauses will also be posted on the map where management says, we've got to take a pause of six weeks because of some particular challenge that is facing us or perhaps a pause of a pause of three weeks over the holidays, the week of getting ready for Christmas, the week of Christmas, and the week of recovering from Christmas, and then we're going to start again. So all of that is captured in the pace of the map. 
Well, I did not deliver on my promise. That's about all I can do today. Um, I'm getting a signal from the engineer that my time is almost up. And so we have gone through five of the six what we call startup tools for uh, management to build the infrastructure, to build your improvement infrastructure. And we will take on number six, the official improvement time policy when we get back. But I think what we'll start with is the laminated map on the operator level, which is where we began today. Um, Now that you have a better understanding of how it works uh, for strategic decision-making on the company-wide level. These tools are important because the infrastructure, as you build it, becomes a permanent part of the way your company is run and the way improvement happens. These tools are easy to migrate to other methodologies. But the other thing that happens, and it has happened many times, on my watch anyway, is that Using the concept of building an infrastructure is a very easy bridge to moving into the OPEX function, which will absorb all of that functionality and go even further. It creates a very stable framework for putting improvement in place, sustaining it, and absorbing uh, improvement consciousness and improvement mindset in your company. I recommend it very highly. We are in the midst of walking through work that makes sense, operator-led visuality. It is a transformational methodology that uh, pretty much changes everything, plus puts into place a workplace that speaks for the operators who design this workplace through their own eye-driven strength. Thank you very much for tuning in today. I hope to see you the next time. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth. Let the workplace speak. Thank you for joining us this week at Visual Workplace Radio. Tune in for another episode next Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, with your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Let the workplace speak.